0: Jack Greenstock. I'm filling in as the host again this week for Shane of the Cheap Home Grow podcast. I'm going to wait just a second and we'll see it come up live on YouTube and then I'll go through the introductions of everybody on the panel and I'm officially getting it live on YouTube on my end. So hopefully the rest of you are seeing it. I'm going to mute it so I'm not hearing myself in my own headphones. But welcome everybody. Thank you again for joining us, uh, panel and the chat. I really appreciate everyone showing up. And I'd like to go ahead and pass it over first to Dr. MJ. How you doing?
1: Hey, Jack. Nice to join you guys again this week. Uh, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from cocoforcannabis.com. We are getting geared up for the plant training grow challenge. So I hope everybody comes and grows along with us. Um, we're going to be launching that forum at the end of this month. And yeah, a bunch of people are going to start growing next month. So get ready for the plant training grow challenge.
0: Always look forward to some good plant training and, uh, I know that you've got a great community built up over there, so I'm excited to see some of the results that come from that. And uh, I always think that it's cool to see people growing alongside each other, no matter what they're growing. So that should be a fun time. Next yeah, up, we have Matthew. Awesome.
1: Gates. I look forward to. It. I
0: hope everybody joins us. For sure, for sure. Next up, we got Matthew Gates.
2: Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. You can find my content about pests, pathogens, plants all kinds of stuff related to that on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, the same channel I'm commenting in the chat with, which by the way, use the live chat, um, because you'll get more comments that way and it won't be filtered. I'm standing here looking at this uh, beast grip that I got for my phone and the tripod that I have. I have a IPM field kit video that I'm working on currently, just what I use when I go out and... I thought it would be useful for people, so check that out. I also have Autoflower Podcast. I have an interview with them that will be dropping this week or next week, so check them out. Autoflower Podcast.
0: Very cool. I love to see the uh, cross promotion stuff going on. There's so many great shows within our community, and I love to see uh, people like yourself getting to spread the good word to more than just our listeners. I know there's a lot of other people out there that can benefit from your knowledge and. I'm glad that you're able to share it in more than just one place and including your own youtube channel uh, which has tons and tons of great content so uh, with that being said next up we have spartan grown
3: hello everybody i'm spartan grown you can find me on instagram at spartan grown or at uh, mitten canico otherwise you can find me on instagram or i mean on youtube uh i sit in on the gmail show on fridays or right here cheap home grow or the Michigan grows grow show <laughs>
0: Thanks again for joining us Spartan. I know you're a busy man and uh, we really appreciate your time and it's always uh, awesome to hear your thoughts and opinions on things. I love it when you chime in. So uh, thank you for joining us again. Next up, we've got Aaron the grower.
4: Excellent. Thanks for having me, Jack. Um, I am Aaron the grower, ATG Acres on Instagram. Um, primarily just on Instagram. I've been doing a lot of work on YouTube on future cannabis project uh, and then just uh yesterday Matt and I did a little review of uh some some tr- fun trichome science and uh so yeah I'm looking forward to today
2: right, ontogeny. those videos will also be coming soon
4: I didn't want to break out the big words yet I was going to wait
5: yeah
0: it's early sometimes you might people be like oh what is, what does that mean but uh I look forward to it and I actually enjoyed the Instagram live videos that you put out on your page as well, Uh, Matthew and Aaron. Thank you for sharing that content. It's highly valuable information, and I'm glad you're putting that out to the community. But uh, next up, we have the American one.
6: Hey, Jack. Hey, panel. Hey, chat. It's all good to be here. Good to see everyone. I hope everyone's having a great weekend. I'm the American one on YouTube, and the American one with AQs on IG, and I'm glad to be here.
0: We're glad to have you Tao. It's always a pleasure. And next up we have Brandon Rust.
7: What's going on everybody. And what's up to all the listeners. Um, you can find me on Instagram at rust.brandon. And you can find a link in my bio to my company, Bokashi Earthworks and Majestic Craft Canvas, which is a brand uh, the that I run operate under. Um, Yeah, I'm an organic grower, and I do, uh, I grow weed.
0: (laughs) I like that you uh, keep it simple, both, uh, in the wording there and sometimes in the garden, although the organics that you throw down sometimes could be very complicated if you get into the science of it all. With that being said, I want to get into something a little bit more simple, because as you might be telling by my slow voice today, I got a little dabbed up before the show, got nice and medicated, and, um got my wife a few dabs and in, in her so I was a little curious about I just got a infrared laser uh, thermometer temperature gun thingy that I like to use for my canopy and stuff in the grow room but it also doubles as a dab temperature readout and um, I personally like to heat up my nail I have like a little quartz banger and a bong and then get it to the point where it's red and then I just usually I used to wait a minute and I found out that's about around 500 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. But now I go a little bit under that between like 350 and 450. I think it's a pretty good range, but I'll still take them at 500 occasionally. But I was just curious if uh, anyone else on the panel is interested in dabbing. And if so, uh, do you monitor your temperature at all? Or do you do like a heat up, cool down time? Is it just in your head? Do you have an actual timer or any science to it at all? I'll pass it over maybe to uh, the American one.
5: Yeah,
6: I don't dab all that often. I don't even really have a dab rig. I uh, if I do get material that's dabable, I usually end up putting it in a joint. Um, and but I know that I I have a white paper. It says if you're dabbing where it's way too hot, the actual terpenes can turn toxic somehow. So I'm always cautious about that. I'm kind of old school, you know.
0: Yeah, I want to say it's above like six or seven hundred degrees Fahrenheit. But uh, I could be wrong. It might be a little bit hotter than that. Some people got it super hot, but uh, I'm not sure. Well, Listen, I've heard the
4: other way around. Um, Maybe you guys have heard of limonene being like an abrasive solvent. Well, it's also a terpene, a really common terpene in a lot of cannabis concentrates. And when you concentrate limonene in an extract, um, if you don't combust it, um, it can actually be damaging. It's almost like drinking you know, acetone versus like drink, like inhaling the smoke or vapor from a combusted acetone, you know, drinking the acetone is going to be far more, you know, poisonous. So in that regard, I think there's like a, a balance, like a a temperature happy point where you're kind of doing least damage, which is probably between the temperatures we've discussed, you know, like somewhere, somewhere around 500 degrees, 600 degrees is probably prime.
2: Oh. It i always
7: cold start i always cold start i don't dab often because <clears throat> i'm more i you know i just like the effect of flour uh but um i'll put a piece of concentrate in the bottom of my banger and i'll use a small torch to heat it up and i have a carb cap on it so that extra pressure it doesn't take a whole lot of heat or a whole lot of time for that uh for that concentrate to start you know, firing off or whatever it does, you know, to start smoking. And uh, I'm no, you know, concentrate expert by any means. Like again, I'm kind of old school too. Um, but I don't. I've never. I, I I've never felt like I've had any negative effects from it. Um, but again, there's more. There'll be more science coming out. I'm just not an expert on dabs. But I always like to cold start mine, or or put it on flour that's my favorite way to do it. If I find some extract and I just put it right on top of flour, that seems to get me the highest.
2: I, um, I've worked with a individual in Sebastopol, um, Adi Farms, A-H-T-I. He makes some of the best stuff I've ever had. And that's coming from people who have watched this video, especially this series, a couple of the last couple of weeks, me and MJ Coco have joked about mm-hmm. how, uh, Maybe our ability to sense certain things is different than others, Um, maybe reduced or just specific. And this guy's, uh, the scent and the flavor is very, very powerful, very pungent. And it's one of the only times I've ever experienced that, but I don't know if that's a sampling bias or what. Certainly the process is is pretty nice. But um, for me, I, I don't dab that much either. I used to have a dab rig, And it broke, and I just never got a new one. Really, I use a um, atomizer uh, on the go, so that that really fills in for any sort of situation.
5: That is uh,
3: thinking about it. From what everybody said, you know, most most rigs have some kind of water, you know, water piece in it, unless you're using, you know, the straw things. Um, So if you're using a piece with water in it. I think I would err more on the side of being lower heat because if you're pulling uh, like if you're worried about pulling the terpene and it's, it hasn't been combusted yet, it's going to have to go through water too, before it gets into your lungs. And I think that that water is going to filter that out for you. If it doesn't combust, If if you're sucking on that thing so hard to pull terps out too, I think the water might catch some of those terps, but I mean, I would still be concerned, but I think I would, I would try to hit, you know, under the, the, the top level than worry about the low so much if i had water as a filter
5: I don't think it you really
3: filters as much as it cools um,
0: well, actually mj i want to throw out some science because i yeah. looked at a study on bong usage they compared it to um one they looked at like tobacco users with water pipes versus non-tobacco users and if they use the water pipe the incidence of cancer was significantly lower and i think that cannabis just in general is less cancer-provoking but i think that made me more air on the side of like, I like the fact of the bong might be a safer way to inhale smoke. But with uh, following that up, one of the things they did when they studied cannabis bong smoke was they found when they tested the water after, and this makes, I mean, obvious sense to a lot of us, probably there was cannabinoids and terpenes found in the bong water after you smoke. So that shows me that at least some of it is being uh, filtered out or it could be like particulate, like sometimes uh, ash or unburnt, flower falls through your bowl into the water. So that could be part of it as well. I, I think, think also- I think you
1: get that particulate, I think you get some of the other stuff, but I don't think it's really filtering the, the smoke as much as it might trap some of those other things. I mean, if you just think about it mechanically, there, there are fairly large bubbles that are traveling through a fairly small amount of water. So the opportunity for the water to even interact with the, the gas is limited. Um, in uh, so, sort of vong type situation I guess well the of- water what if you're
7: using like a diffuser or if you have like multiple chambers where you have yeah a, yeah the, I, I, I see, I see the all the time I that are like that are really crazy, like, vortex. What about the bacteria
4: that can grow in the water um, once you're, like, you know, smoking it? Like, like you don't drink out of the same cup of water for, you know, two weeks, and but, you know, I'll smoke out of the same bong. I know it's not healthy, but I'll smoke out of the same you're bong water. A,
0: I clean mine twice oh, a week that is, alcohol. yeah. I yeah. clean it every it single It needs to be clear. If I start coughing from it, then I change it. You can change the water every day, which I suggest to keep it a little bit cleaner, but I think yeah. alcohol and salt, sea salt, you don't need any fancy you solution You should for really change the
4: water every single bowl you smoke, dude. And, yeah. and you can clean it <laughs> once a week. I mean, that's... Listen, I won't do that every.
1: if bowl, you have, you have a good diffuser, work. you yeah. pretty much need to. It'll get clogged. Like, I have a chandelier bong that you need to clean it every bowl, practically, or it'll start to get clogged. And that's what produces the really small bubbles that actually no, do a
6: better job. No shame, man. Yeah. No well, shame. Let me tell you guys. No though, Obviously, the water gets dirty, so it's obviously filtering some stuff. And some terpenes are water-soluble, so they're probably getting trapped in a little bit just because of the water, right?
3: Well, I think it has yeah. to do with what the doc was saying, too, is that you are getting a cooling effect. So, yes, if it's in a vapor form, but it's cooling as it go, gets drawn through the water, it's going to come back into a liquid for it, you know, minute parts of it. and sure. That would that would explain why it would be in the water, too. It would
4: condense. I mean, if they, if Jack saw a test that, or a study that showed that there's terpenes in the water... OK, then then for sure it's collecting some majority, certainly not because we taste our weed, right? We taste the terpenes. So it's definitely some of them. Most of them are getting into our lungs. But, um, but what but we're getting I, is, probably in that is that the terpenes might actually be a preservative in the bong water to prevent bacteria from growing. That was the second part of that.
0: It could so be stuff yeah. like, uh, it's like something. Can I just uh, bring
1: up that bong water is nasty? <laughs>
7: oh,
0: yeah, it is. No, well, no. Uh, arguing no. that.
1: I have an
7: ash catcher on my bong and so my ash catch will get dirty but my bong water will stay fairly clean but I still clean it really often and the water from my bong is still it's bong water you know it's not like oh it's you know even though none of the ash got through to it and stuff it's still dirty nasty bong water.
4: I feed it to my green onion and my green onion's going ham so I know there's something in there. It's definitely potassium because it's like potash <laughs> so when you burn you know organic material yeah, that
3: would be my guess that'd be at least potash yeah yeah oh yeah you're giving it that k-boost
2: yeah yeah Fung water is the worst to say never it's like uh technically it's an herbal tonic isn't it
7: <laughs> yeah it's an emulsification question.
3: oh my Do you god you guys it,
7: have yeah. any like home remedies or any type of thing that you guys know of for getting bong water out of like carpet or off the couch or you know on spilt upholstery what are you guys' go-to for uh, situations like that
0: essential oil mixtures whatever you've got on hand that's powerful like peppermint or uh, citrus um, there's a few different ones with hot water I mean soak it with the towel get most of the water up and then go back over it with the uh, spray a few times I think that's yeah. it You're running into
1: some of the same solubility issues that prevent like concentrates from using water though. Um, A a lot of the stuff that is in that bong water is not going to be really water soluble. I mean, I I suppose there's sort of two ways to look at it. A lot of it is the stuff that's actually in the water. Um, But we all know how sort of difficult it is to clean that cannabinous resin out of things. Um, I'm trying to think of like alcohol based or maybe other kinds of bases to cleaning products that would work better?
4: I would think coconut oil. I don't know. I've missed it. if Somebody said this already, but um, coconut oil is like, you know, it's really fatty, makes a good emulsifier. It takes oil, takes cannabis oil right off my arms. But like, I don't know if you'd want to get that on your carpet, but maybe, you know, in a, in a multi-stage process, you could get the cannabis oil off and then you could get the coconut oil off.
3: See my initial way that I would think to tackle it would be with enzymes but then I'm worried about the enzymes eating up your upholstery or your fabric or whatever you're you're trying to clean
1: yeah I'm thinking more about like specific carpet cleaning products or dry cleaning products that have different kinds of solubility I imagine some of the dry cleaning chemicals would work really well um, and they make carpet cleaners that are like that I'm not an expert in that area but there are products that probably would have better solubility for the the kind of material think, that you're looking to dissolve i think uh maybe an
7: oil-based soap
3: yeah i think just combine you could take you could take just water and put essential oil in it now you got oil and soap <laughs> oil and water i don't know man the the essential oils can cover it up at least a little bit the smell
4: you know what i honestly usually do is i use my pet stain remover if i have to like just whatever's in that shit scrub it
0: nature's miracle maybe uh, that's my pet stain remover i mean i'm talking a about job. the
4: chemical chemical comp i don't know what the chemical in it is i don't know
5: but there's got to in- be an
1: interesting product out there for this problem i'd talk to people in the industry in the carpet cleaning industry and see what they would recommend i
7: think i have my next bokashi product
5: yeah.
6: Someone in chat was talking about to have uh, there's something called uh, weed wipes and they have this like little bottle of oil and you put a couple of drops in your uh, water pipe and even though it'll get dirty, it won't stick to everything. But that first taste, a little taste like oily. But once you burn a couple of things through it, that taste is gone and it will keep your piece clean. When you rinse it out, it totally rinses out. Smiley Gardens was talking about it in chat. You know what's funny is I had a friend
7: who used to put uh, cranberry juice in his bong. There's an enzyme in cranberry juice that that prevents it. It was always stay clean.
0: There's a brand called uh, Peace Water, which is for like bubblers and bongs to make it get dirty slower. It's like you guys were talking about some sort of thing that makes the resin have more difficulty sticking to the glass. So it stays clean for a longer period.
4: 2015 i saw people using this at the cups in their rigs you know you get free dabs when you walk up to the tables back then i don't know if they still do that but you know they were trying to prevent all that shit from building up and it was like red bong water but it was like a cranberry extract
6: it was gross
3: i know i've had (laughs) a i didn't realize my mic was open this whole time sorry if it was making noise um fine i uh i use this product one time it was called peace water and it was i from looking at it and, and the ingredients it looked like it was pretty much citric acid and water and it did have a it did add a slight weird taste uh if you po- pulled through the bond with nothing in it you could get that slight weird taste like it wasn't what you knew it wasn't water and it was thicker it seemed thicker than water but um when you pulled through it it was fine and it it would get it would catch it seemed like it it got dirty faster like it was catching more stuff and um i mean you could go a week but it would look terrible and and then you just dump it out and but you had keep your bond clean you know where the water sits you know where the water doesn't sit would get dirty if you didn't clean it but uh the acid or whatever that's in there is citric acid it might i'm sure maybe the cranberries have that too
0: yeah, I've heard people doing all sorts of stuff like this. And uh, even on the worst end, like back when I was in high school, people would put like sugary drinks in there to make it like increase the flavor or something like that. And then just the bomb would get so disgusting so quickly. So I definitely don't suggest anyone doing that. One other thing I, I saw was that one. people put like vodka or like hypnotic alcohol and stuff in there. So they would like believe it's infused with uh, cannabis and then they take shots of it. I'm like, dude, that's just outright disgusting. You couldn't pay me to drink bong water. No, thank you.
1: I I do actually wonder if using something like vodka in the bong, I wouldn't want to hit that bong for starters. The vapors would be intense. Um, But having that sort of concentration of alcohol in the water may prevent it from getting as dirty as it otherwise would.
3: I've, I've heard people with a flavor thing, like putting grape soda in there, or it just seemed to me, it just seems like you're ma- creating such a terrible mess that, that you're going to have to clean later that I've never been brave enough to do that. I always just use water. Yeah, you I'm know what? Fan.
4: I had a really cool experience back, uh, <clears throat> like 10 years ago when hookahs were really popular and you know, this is smoking tobacco hookah. Um, we used cold milk. It would have ha- one-to-one milk and water and um it was it provided these really deep dense thick hits and the water would just chug up the hookah and this is like a big hookah so it's bah, 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 bah. every you know bubble is monstrous it was a lot of fun but i don't think that's something you want to do in like a traditional
6: bong it's
3: definitely interesting milk. imagine as that milk warms up Ugh.
6: sour
5: milk <laughs> you know that wow no
7: so oh, much bacteria.
5: Yeah,
1: warm milk. Oh, that bonks and
6: pour
0: out. So we were talking about dabs. Uh, I know everybody else is probably more in the tr- traditional flour myself included. I'm like 95 percent flour, five percent uh, hash or some sort of oil. Um, but Spartan, what are you smoking on over there?
3: Oh, let me see. I got some more of it here so I could show it off. I don't remember what I did with it, but I had a shout out sequence. He brought me some of his cre- or I went to his house or I went to his greenhouse and uh, he shared some of his uh, crescendo with me. So that's what I'm smoking on. It's funny because when he grew it, it has like an orange terpene that really comes through prominent. Like if I had to say, what's the prominent? The first thing you notice orange in his. I don't get that at all when I grew the, a cut that I got from him of the same plant. Mine when I grew it, it was more like that doughy cookie kind of flavor, and um, so I love that. I love that when you when you grow the same plant in different conditions, different ways. I mean, he was growing in with Jacks and cocoa, and I was growing you know organic and in just soil. So it was weird how way different they were. So that's what I'm smoking. And it's just in a little bong. But I did want to mention if you, if you're that concerned about temperatures which i am and i don't have a rig right now i will i'm considering getting oh i found the weed it's over here i'm considering getting a rig but i'm not i'm waiting until i can afford to get an email i'm one of those guys that i'll just wait until i can afford what i want rather than getting something i don't want and make and do unless it's like a ridiculous long amount of time but I want to get an email because that way I can set it for the exact temperature I want. And there's no guessing. There's no worrying about if my $20 laser thing is really accurate or not accurate. I can just set it and it'll go to that temperature and I'll know I'm at a safe range. You know what I mean? So I wanted to recommend that. So just people looking to maybe emails, but uh, yeah, this is just a little tiny nug here, but it's, fuck, it's still fire. So I know those- I
7: a way to go, dude. I agree.
4: I, I keep mine set. <laughs> at like 440 but i think that's sort of a fake temperature i got this thing this thing's been running for like six years and i got it for 80 bucks on like amazon or something you know super cheap and yeah definitely a good investment if you have like full-time power that's the way to go
3: And it's cool because you could, I mean, literally you could fucking I mean, it's not energy efficient or whatever, but you could leave it plugged in all day if you really wanted to. And anytime you had it, you were talking about dabs on demand. You don't have to wait for anything to heat up. It's just boom, ready to go, done. I like that so, aspect of it.
7: My a pretty badass too. I have one. I wish I could get it to work. I think my atomizer is broken or something.
0: I just, uh, I feel like you have to like Q-tip it out more than, and for me, something about, I've had my buddies who have them, and I've taken plenty of dabs off of the e-nail. I just think that there's some different element of the torch heat up. I don't know what it is, but like the experience on the back end, I just like a torch dab a little bit more. But the e-nail is so convenient, I can't argue. I mean, it's like you set it to whatever temperature you want it to, and uh, if cleaning up is the worst thing you have to do, then that's a pretty convenient situation. And I don't think they run a ton of electricity. It's like I run my vaporizer for a few hours sometimes, my desktop, and it doesn't. You don't even notice it on your bill. It's, so insignificant
7: for me the torch is my least favorite part of dabbing it feels so feels so druggy so druggy i hate
0: the perception of it i like the experience like of the hit that comes from it like the torch dabs that i've taken in my life have always just been so good compared to like whatever the email is set you could set it from like six five four whatever temperature um just something i don't know what the torch does to the courts or, or whatever i'm hitting it off of I hate the perception. Things. I want I to do it by myself butane. in my home. No one sees it. It doesn't it's contain butane you're inhaling, that butane. When,
3: <laughs> Boy, you're you inhaling all
0: the butane. Boy, you're not do... the butane. If you're doing like a
3: solventless hash, you're not inhaling the butane. The butane burning up the of the nail. torch. The burning of the torch is giving off butane.
4: Propane, but um. Oh, wait, propane. But, sorry,
5: i don't use propane. Uh,
4: but but really, the the problem with the enail is it continues to burn your hit when you as soon as you touch your dab to a quartz nail that you heated with a torch the dab cools the nail it continues to cool it as you pull air through it and the dab rig has a feedback system that continues to heat it that's why your hit tastes like shit at the end of your hit when you're taking an email hit
3: so i wonder if you could uh, just turn your email off as you dab if that would probably wouldn't cool fast enough maybe you could I don't know how, how the coils are attached. Maybe you could remove the coil. Don't turn it off. Just remove the coil and clip it somewhere else for for a minute.
4: Well, the button's pretty the easy. Effect. You could you could turn it off.
3: But yeah, but then with then the we, coil we... would still hold the heat. I'm saying. Right. To get right. the same effect, you have to like remove the coil.
7: Yeah. What if they made that type of technology? What What is it? The like they have them on the new stoves, the induction, the induction heating dab dab rig, bro. That would. Be- <laughs>
3: I think they have them building. honestly
7: cool after instantly cool your your chamber after you do your your hit
3: or, or what if they just replace a torch with a little laser device where you shoot a laser at your quartz nail and just heat it up i
7: like so, that idea that's, dope too. that's like some star wars dabbing
3: i can't make them look like lightsabers little little handheld lightsabers and just you just laser your quartz nail, heat it up to and maybe the laser burns at a specific temperature that would be elon dope. are you Instead listening
7: giving away all our intellectual property somebody's gonna get rich off all <laughs> fuck it we'll benefit dude we'll,
4: we'll just buy the product yeah. we got yeah. our specialties right guys exactly yeah
3: i yeah. want different so, uh, color lightsabers for different te- for different temperatures that way i can tell just from the get-go so whoever's <laughs> stealing this idea let's get it right one of, the, <laughs> one of the earliest
2: videos i ever watched on youtube was a guy who I might even be able to define his name, but basically he made like little tech gadgets and taught people through video how to make them himself or yourself. And one of them was like a, he like cored out a lighter and, you know, took like a, a diode or something and made like a laser lighter. So it's been done. Um, I've actually used my own laser. It's a class 3B. You can hear me actually look for it here. Yeah. (laughs) I got two when I was in China. They're like, oh, look, 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 you can light a match on fire. You can light a a cigarette. That was one of the talking points that was pretty funny.
3: Um, They're not concerned that the cigarette can combust and you're aiming it at somebody's face?
2: (laughs) Well, the PRC and uh, OSHA don't really, (laughs) there's not a whole lot of that going on.
3: They don't really compare, huh?
2: (laughs) No, not on the street (laughs) anyways.
7: So, you know, what's funny is I was actually scrolling on Instagram and I saw like this little handheld laser and they were like lighting matches and lighting things on fire with it. And I was like, dude, I'm going to smoke bowls with that. And so I ordered one and like eight weeks later, it finally got to me and then there was like no battery for it. So it's been sitting in a drawer, like unused. I have no idea how it operates. I'm not even sure if it's a real laser or if it's just a metal tube with a little fake light in it.
1: That's the inherent danger in these products is like so obvious that like i don't i don't
3: want one <laughs> don't less,
0: less risky and asked yeah. by the chat run to your fate asks does anyone use hemp wick to smoke with i actually have a big spool of it on my table and when i'm smoking my bong i typically use hemp wick i don't mind using a lighter occasionally spartan's got it over lady. there as well but uh, it works it burns at a lower temperature than a lighter does so i do notice a slightly different uh, flavor even when smoking the same exact flower out of the same bong so I
2: like to use one. Um, I like to like be very. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the word is. I guess fastidious. I'm very careful to just put a little bit of fire and use it in a pipe or something. Like I've got a warden's pipe right here. And that's it's called um,
3: cornering the bowl. It's like pipe yeah etiquette.
2: Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And I feel like it. It definitely saves, you know, time, time. and also product for that matter makes it last longer. For
5: so what
3: it me. means so what it means is like you're way more accurate with your flame. You a big lighter has a big fat flame and you're lighting half a bowl with that damn flame even if you're careful. Exactly. Why 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 that's important is the first hit's always the best cuz the green hit, you know what I mean, it's not combusted yet. You're getting no ash, no carbon. So uh with a hemp wick, especially if they're not super thick like, you know, look how thin this is, um, the flame can be really thin. And so you can really pick apart the top green, you know what I mean, and get that nice green hit. You could get way more green hits out of the same bowl.
2: I'm like definitely pizza. that way. <clears throat> I definitely do it that way.
0: In California, though, when I moved out here from uh, Ohio, everyone in Ohio did kind of like what you're talking about, Spartan, where you pack a bowl that's kind of fat enough where you hit it several times, three, four hits on the bowl. When I moved out here, everyone sort of does the big snap or like the one hit where <laughs> they load it up and they do it all in one. Some people would even do like a match; they'd light it up with a match and pack a small enough bowl where they'd slowly roast it and like there's no smoke in their mouth at all because they're taking a real slow inhale and at the very last second boom get it all at the same time and uh that's a little bit different cultural thing i noticed out here a lot more packing and unpacking of the bowls but some of them will just suck it straight down into the water i personally like to use the screen
1: yeah for sure i'm familiar with this sort of everybody gets their own load situation and that's what i was going to say to spartan too would be pack smaller bowls um, but, yeah, I agree with you, Jack. I think that it's a cultural thing.
5: You know oh, what you I like s- to do, too, is uh, if the- I have
1: a, a pipe that's packed real
7: good, uh, if you can, like a nice, uh, nice cured uh, cannabis will usually cherry up real nice and then just kind of keep that cherry. And if you're not relighting and reheating up that weed, it usually
3: maintains a, a lot better flavor, in my opinion. Yeah, that's all bowl design though. Like my pipe, I can do that. I only have to light my pipe one time and I can draw fucking maybe five to ten hits off of it without have to relight it. It just stays lit. But in my bong, all these bong bomb bowls, I've got to light it every time, it seems like.
6: Have you guys ever my... used a magnifying glass for uh North pipes? Star does? Gold. I
3: had
0: a hit so No, That shit
6: is I've cool,
5: tried... man. Yeah.
6: That's the <laughs> purest hit. Like
4: like it's, it's a sulfur not... on a match is kinda nice, but it's certainly not pure, like, um, the, the sunlight, the, I got, I got mine thing? right here for that, per- just, like, I do it, like, once a week, man, I get out there with this thing.
5: Yeah, if you, Sol- uh,
7: Solar hits are legit, man. It's, like, a slow heating up of the weed, so you kind of almost get, like, a little bit of vapor before you get the actual combustion.
6: Yeah, I had a lot of to... practice when I was a kid, burning my school books out in the back backyard with <laughs> a magnifying glass.
0: Shout out to, uh. Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, he has a show, Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, where he had Joel from North Star Genetics, who was part of the Subcool team before he kind of is doing his own thing. Uh, He was on Eagle's show, and during the interview, he was outside, and you needed to see him like walk over into the sun and hold his magnifying glass up above his head, and then boom, like take a huge rip off his bowl, and it was a lot faster than I would have expected. Maybe it was because where he's at, but I think a lot of people would be surprised at how effective that solar rip is once you uh, get good at it.
3: Lucky. yeah i was i'm just i'm not gonna lie i almost was almost offended when dr coco said spartan pack smaller bowls. what the fuck is that even?
5: <laughs>
3: <mean>? <laughs> <laughs> sorry man sorry if bigger you're trying
2: pack. to share which you Put know them down it's <laughs> if, if you're trying to share but if it's oh. just for you man pack them as much as you want
3: oh man if i'm trying to share i just give them a joint or something man What <laughs> No, we we're talking about
1: saving greens, we used to call that, right? Where if you're, you're smoking a bowl, don't take all the green hits off the top, like try to take it off the corner, like we were saying. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of brought me back to being in, in high school and like an undergrad. I think for quite a while now, I've just been smoking smaller bowls with people. So packing smaller bowls and everybody gets their own. Snappers, do people still call
4: them snappers?
3: Uh, the only thing that it reminds me of is one-hitters is what people call it, you know, where you yeah. can just put, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. one-hit, but fuck off. Yeah, like Apple Apple. <laughs> That's
1: what we call it in Colorado. I don't – the terms I hear are not one-hitters. um Yeah, I don't
0: know. Snappers call, is a thing is. for sure. I think it's snapper when it's snapped into the ball, when there's no screen and you're actually snapping it where you try and burn it real slow, real slow, real slow, and you're literally hearing it. It's like snap, 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 crackle, and pow. I, just, well, I think it's snappers
4: it when somebody would say, I'm going to pack you a snapper, like I used to go to my dealer's house in Florida, and I'm going to pack you a snapper, and he'd pack me a bowl that I was like basically like a point .2 nug that he just crushed with his finger and put it right in the bowl, and you were expected it was etiquette to f- smoke that whole thing in
1: one hit, and so a lot of times that I was Yes. And if you don't, then you finish it. You don't sort of pass it on. You, right. you finish it and okay. then you empty the bowl, you hand it back to whoever's loading. They'll load the next one for the next person and and it goes around. So everybody gets a better sort of hit that way. I was going to
5: say, no, not everybody.
7: That's proper weed etiquette. You always let everybody get a green bowl. If you're packing a large pipe load, you do like Spartan said, you corner it or you control where you're burning. So that way, as many people who are to get a green hit.
6: Yeah, not everybody's one hitter is, a, is the same as somebody else's one hitter. I know someone who would take like fifteen hits to get that one hitter through, and someone will do it in a half a rip. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, usually
5: you gotta know there's, your audience for sure.
1: Commentary about that while it's happening, now.
3: Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, it takes me many hits to get high. So one hitters are offensive to me. It's like, what's the point? Why, why create more work for myself? It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Oh my God, everything in this I conversation so ball. far has sounded like a bunch of work to get high. I, I'm just saying, <laughs> all hey. I do is like grind it up and put it in my vaporizer. And sometimes I gotta be honest with you, grinding it seems like a lot of work. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I don't think I'm gonna smoke another bowl because I don't wanna have to grind it like that. I mean, all of this other stuff that you're what's talking it, about. What's your
3: with- opinion on scissors? Scissors are pretty cool. I like scissors.
1: I remember the scissor and shot glass tech. Oh, I try. Well, one. in a in a herb vaporizer, I try to get a really fine grain.
0: Um, yeah, this I is try an electric like coffee grinder points. or the Wack-It. Yeah, a, oh the I use, dude. The I
5: whack have whack a arthritis.
0: I love the Whackit. Whackit is you good. I got that down, thing. Boom, boom, boom. It's love it, dude. I have arthritis and I can't grind with a traditional grinder. I, I realized at the end of the day, my hands were in so much pain and locking up way more than when I switched to the electronic grinder. My pain level dropped by like two or three points out of ten just by switching. Like that alone. I like
4: using that thing when I have to grind large amounts of weed because it doesn't destroy it, but it does do a pretty large amount. Like if I'm doing RSO or if I'm trying to turn some, some weed into Keef to make rosin, I just put, I lay the weed out and just go burn, burn, burn. And this thing just everywhere it hits, it's like a weed whacker.
5: What like, is um, that called, Just The E's? Whack What's it. it
0: W-A-K-I-T. It. it looks like a okay. little uh, metal BBs. Dude. on like a cylinder that you I, press down on it and it spins
3: around and it I just it saw out. loki grow we showed that on the GML show and i'm like dude i gotta give me one of those that's fucking but jack dope. is your
4: is your does yours have a really goofy design on it like some like
0: there's like a witch but if you go on amazon they have black yeah. ones and clear ones dude so, i got the, there's I got actually the, the bottom witch. part is clear yeah, i got the witch too so goofy it's like a like a, a forest thing i don't know yeah shout out to uh Wacken, please by, please don't it
4: don't i well you know please give the buyer a choice now i guess they do
0: they have the option on amazon they're like 50 bucks i want to say and for me it was worth it they're rechargeable with the usb that's like the one that goes into most uh, of the older samsung phones or like micro usb i think is what charges it so it comes with a cord but it might fit with a lot of stuff you already have and uh, there's other ones out there i tried a different one i was gifted both of them for free so i'm not trying to like sell this product or anything but it just i really sincerely it helped me with like my medical condition my arthritis is a lot less impacted by having to and like dr mj said he was so discouraged by having to grind it <laughs> that he would just not use another bowl and i'm like oh fuck that sucks like i would rather always use the other bowl if like i wanted uh, the other bowl at that moment and i've been there too i, I used meant to it
1: more as a comment on my laziness than on sort of my medical condition <laughs> but yeah <laughs> and also your highness dr mj if you're yeah. high so
4: high that you're looking at the weed like i can't do it then bro yeah. you're high enough
2: it sounds like a self-limiting situation yeah exactly i'm like man i can't
1: believe i've already gone through that whole last grind that that last grind took a lot out of me i don't think i
5: can do it again
3: man they got these scissors where it's like 10 scissors all in one you know they're like stuck next to each other so it's really wide and you can go through weeds so fast with those it's so fucking cool
5: hmm.
3: i saw that at uh, i can't remember where i was at now I don't remember, but that was the first time I've seen it, but I guess it was an old school trick. I've never seen those scissors before. It was just like a bunch of blades spaced out maybe a quarter inch apart from each other. And it was really wide, probably maybe 12 inches wide at the most, maybe, maybe eight inches wide so and then they were just going through bud you know instead of grinding it just sticking it between the blades and squishing the handle together and it would just smash it all at once and it came out like like
1: is there a huge mechanical advantage built into this somehow because yeah
3: you don't have to clean it it just uh, gravity pulls everything away it's not it doesn't get gummed up like in a grinder
1: no i'm just saying like to physically pull like one set of scissors through buds is takes you know force so if you have 10 sets of blades then it's going to take a lot of sort of mechanical force to get that to go through the material
3: um is there Uh, it didn't seem like there was any this guy i said say i don't know how much he he ground up it was maybe at least a quarter pound he just did one-handed and he was looked like he was probably you know probably he was at least in his 50s i mean he wasn't like a young buck or anything he was sitting there just the wrong way i don't know i don't know i didn't get to use him i was just kind of impressed by him
0: Going back to uh, what's everyone smoking on? I just Wait, smoked are, a salad. Are you of. talking
1: about like this? Oh, I can't see that.
3: It's not. Yes, it's yeah. Very similar to that. It looked like it was a little bit wider than that, though. But yeah, that's
4: for like chives, dude. I have my wife has a pair of those, and she uses them to cut like when we get onions out of the garden or whatever. Just
3: try it. Try it on a bud, and it'll look like. Me, are you
4: kidding me, Shay? If I try them on a bud? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, okay. Well, yeah, one day. I'll tell her to get another They'll pair. They'll get of an time.
0: ISO after she'll never know. Yeah, I saw a little it be hard iron. to actually Salt.
1: get through buds with
3: those? I'm telling you, the dude just went through it like it was nothing. That was my first question. All right, but I'll go get it hard?
1: and it right no, now. We need to, we need, this is for science, Aaron, for science.
3: <laughs> like Aaron, I asked, the dude, I remember who it was now. It was in at. his garage. It was, it was the same place we went for when, uh, it was the phenol Hunt contest where we had the, uh, announcing of the winners. It was in this guy's garage and he was. Real life medical
0: that. research and process. <laughs> what are we looking at, Brandon?
3: This is Death
7: Breath, and this is it's Limarilla crossed with the clone only nineteen nineties Purple Kush, uh, and Grape God. So I I had a cut which I called San Diego Mountain Kush, which was the Purple Kush Grape God, and I hit that with the uh, Limarilla, and. It's got such a such a complex protein profile. nobody can exactly put their um, their nose on it, so to speak. and uh, it has a it, it it's got so much flavor. it's the f- most flavorful weed I've ever tasted in my
1: life. Uh, I'm looking forward to Aaron's experiment
4: Yeah,
3: I've done it. what what flavor? I'm,
1: I'm pulling out some weed. I,
4: they're smaller nugs, so you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: I love Mike Angel's uh, comment and chat. You're chopping up a divorce here, so I hope you don't get <laughs> in trouble for. Uh... I told you oh, it's no. for
3: science; it's worth it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah you can't have scruples in science.
3: All right, and then. Uh, yeah. Would you? We go.
2: I think you'll get through that.
3: Let's see it. Maybe
0: <laughs> I can spotlight you while you do this. All right. let,
4: me, uh, let me. I don't want to just chop it up onto my computer, so hang on. All right. I'll use her candle, her scissors.
1: Perfect.
3: He's Perfect. got, he's, he's not showing us. He's got a big cup full of iso so on the to Drop them in after this.
1: And we can do something with that too.
0: I've got you spotlighted now.
3: Oh, we got oh, the money wow, like shot. That. We got the money shot now. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, dude.
4: <laughs> dude. So is that going to make your hand tired after a while? No, this is effective and efficient. I recommend it. All right. Um, oh. This is how it grounded up. This is like good for people who like to smoke backwoods, I would say. This is about how yeah. they like to ground.
3: Yep.
5: Yeah.
4: And if you, you
3: wanted to go that? finer, you could. But I mean, that's yeah, how I, I pack a bowl of that all day long.
4: Can you guys yeah, see but, it? Yeah, I mean,
7: you could definitely run it through one more time, maybe. I don't know.
3: Put it in actually, a shot
7: glass. You actually don't want it ground up too fine because what happens is the canvas actually burns hotter when it's mm-hmm. more finely ground, and that affects the flavor because when, it, when you're smoking – With a hotter cherry, it's gonna create a harsher, a harsher taste. Yeah,
0: some people
5: vaporize. There's a different grind
1: for smoking and for vaping. I like a really fine fine. grind when I'm vaping, but a a coarser grind. So a five-piece
6: grinder for smoking and a two-piece grinder for vaping. No, it's just like coffee, like you guys are saying. Espresso is the super grind, and you wanna, you want. I like the way Aaron just did it. It'd be perfect in the joint, I think. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it would be good in a joint, yeah. Nice slow burn.
3: I'm saying, dude, if you are at an event and you're trying to roll a bunch of joints or you're trying to, you know, pack a bunch of bowls, it's fucking so fast. No doubt. Cool.
0: I like that live product demonstration. What is the, is there a name for that? Just cilantro cutting scissors? Or does it have a brand name? Martin's old
4: friend tech. Oh, you mean the scissors?
5: Yeah.
4: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just had it pulled up on my phone. Hang on, I'll tell you. Uh, Fringe
3: scissors. There you go. Fringe scissors. I love it when you can adapt tools from other industries because they're usually like a tenth of the price.
4: And and aren't we growers just the best at that shit? Don't we always have like, for, that's our thing. MacGyver, baby. Oh, yeah. well
0: that's, that's like that new trimming thing the uh canna brush is really just like a silicone barbecue brush right and people are using those kind of like side by side i don't know brandon did they send you one of those a canna brush over yeah, at Majestic they
7: sent me three of them i like them dude i'm
4: like, like this went... close to buying one is it really worth it does it
7: really trim it enough yeah dude no it's totally legit um so check this out <coughs> i don't trim that much anymore
5: <laughs> so I What's please, up, Lucky? <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> the, the whole argument um,
7: you're
6: above it now.
7: I,
5: I don't trade that much calling you a liar. because <laughs> I have
1: so much other
7: things to do. I'm like working on like soil audits and building SOPs and making you know doing this thing. So I there's a crew of people, but um, they like to use them. Um, and it's really really efficient to get off uh, any of like anything that's sticking out or anything if you want to like really find and get in like if you go in and get the crow's feet um but if you're uh if your product is cured perfect you don't need anything else it'll take everything off perfect yeah i'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty tempted to get it
4: but i mean i really need a product that does the crow's feet and like does all that you know in a really rapid form maybe if they made the bristles
7: firmer or what do you think well it's just a matter of making sure that your product is properly dried so for me you know i think okay so i'll, I'll i always tell people that curing is the drying process uh, aging is completely different and i don't ever put anything in a bag or i don't jar anything up until i know it's completely done and there's not like this moisture in there um and if something is in the process like well well it gets trimmed or something like that and i feel like it's too moist it'll stay in an open-air container and t- you know with a fan or whatever until i feel like it's good enough to to bag up but when you look at a finished
4: nug and your trimmers handed to you and you you know are they handing you nugs with crow's feet or are they getting them off
7: no no. So I was, uh, I actually posted some videos. I don't know if I, they're still up cause I archive stuff all the time on my IG, but, um, I used it and it works really good. You know, I didn't have a problem. Um, like I said, if, if your product isn't, isn't completely, uh, done curing or done drying, um, you know and it's too moist it's not going to work as well because the leaves are going to be soft you want those things to be you know to be brittle now the flower doesn't necessarily have to be brittle right just the outside uh
3: water and sugar leaf so but it'll take it a, <laughs> so is it a thing that you're using it like with a one like as a once over and then you're finishing it with scissors or yeah that's it, my question you, thank you sorry or you complete, no, you don't need you to do that
7: you can use it Look, so the only time that I'm usually using scissors is if I'm cutting stuff off of the stem. But typically, again, if my product is cured properly, those nugs usually snap right off the stick, too. So I can just do it by hand. But after you're brushing stuff, if you want to, like, not leave a stem in your, you know, flower, like, I cut everything up, you know what I mean? I take all the stems out, so it's not like, you know, a spear... You know, I cut those all up into smaller nugs. You know what I mean? Sure. But crows feet, you know,
4: that's that's like the million dollar question is like, you know
7: No, no, it, it cleans up Crow's feet. Yeah.
4: Cool. Like yeah, I, said, I, might, I might be interested in doing that
7: because go that's... spend the, the twenty dollars for one dude, you'll you're you won't
6: regret it. Right. How on. about the nugs that are against the stem? You get into them, you know, or where... You know what I mean, Russ?
7: Yeah. Um, in that, like I said, you can still get in there, but like it would be the same. The only way you could get in there with the scissors is if you move that stem or like, you know, bent that flower. So that way you could get it over. So you're doing the same thing. I mean, it's the same exact mechanics. It's just that with this, you're it's it's different, right? Because I've been, you know, I've I've been trimming for almost 20 years you know and it's like I have a certain way that I like to do things and I tried it and I was like this is actually pretty cool like this can you know
4: and let me say that when I saw on your page that you posted that bro my wife is an artist so I went around and grabbed all of her paintbrushes and I was like all right which one is perfect and I started rubbing her paintbrushes on there but it seems like the things that the bristles are made out of Maybe they're just not firm enough or they're not large enough to, to knock leaves off, but they just sort of like they weren't effective. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I guess the uh, the idea doesn't work in general. So I just didn't buy the product. But yeah, uh,
0: silicone basting brush like a barbecue set. has yeah. those silicone yeah, brush oh, onto right. a chicken, uh, a marinade or something, you know, when you're brushing sauce onto something and on a barbecue. That's it's what people are using rigid. in place. And I was going to ask Brandon, ha- have you tried one of those? now i guess oh, i probably I've wouldn't because you
7: have those. i've never used a silicone barbecue baking brush i do however know that the bristles on this uh particular are a certain softness softness and if you look carefully like while you're brushing it um they kind of almost like pull that leaf off of the material as they as it's going off of it because of like what it's made out of you know so that so what'll happen too is uh, trichomes will build up on the tips of those bristles and you can start and you can hand take your hand and rub off hash off of those things so it's working i think in two different modes it's using force to brush off the dry leaf but it's also uh i think the tips of the bristles are actually catching tri uh you know uh leaf by the you know I'm by the to it. by you know from a big sticky
0: Eric from Nugshots took macro photos of scissors after trimming bud versus the can of brush after trimming bud. And I was like, kind of a little skeptical because I was like, oh, he's working for them. They're trying to make the scissors look worse. So I was like, my scissors never look that gunked up, but I guess they kind of do because you kind of peel some of it off here and there. So at the end, they don't look as bad as the photo, but if you don't remove it, the scissors do also pull hairs and trichomes and stuff too. So I guess seeing that side by side in the macro and hearing brandon's uh, experiences i'd be a little bit more apt to trying it uh sometimes just to, go ahead
4: just to confirm these little the ones for the barbecue basting are like they are not nearly firm enough because i did drag this against the butt and it, it didn't do anything so it's definitely it's it's a it's its own product they have something
1: your, your story about trying all of your wife's paintbrushes really put into perspective the whole scissors experiment that we just did a, a while ago there. It's
4: Aaron. a window <laughs> into
1: my life. Welcome.
4: I, I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled rotten. I'll tell you right now. She lets me do whatever I want.
2: They let you do whatever yeah. you want when you're famous. So. I think if you survive the paintbrush
1: episode, then we're going to be fine with this whole scissors thing. When she's
6: not looking, it's all good.
3: Until so he steals him, and then he can't. she can't find him, and then there's going to be trouble.
4: I bury him in the yard. All the evidence is just buried.
2: <laughs> yes, officer, this one right here.
0: <laughs> Where I'm from in Ohio, that's what old farmers would do with old stuff. Like, instead of throwing things away, they would just bury it. So there's, like, old furniture and shit. Like, if you work somebody's field that you bought off of an old land, you might come across some crazy shit underground and not be expecting it, because... That's how they used to get rid of some things back in their own landfill, in a sense.
3: I knew farmers that would do a similar thing, but for a good reason. They'd bury like uh, refrigerators that broke down or freezers that break down. and bury them in the ground and use them as root cellars. It was fucking awesome.
0: That's how you store money long-term if you don't want it to mold. Uh, not that anybody should be doing that for illegal money laundering purposes, but they say if you put a freezer deep down under the ground and then you duct tape it shut, it will prevent a lot of the mold that forms because uh, a lot of people have big stashes of cash and the vacuum sealing wait,
1: wait, wait you're suddenly pulling out a lot of how to store your stash of cash i love it in
4: the I mean, if you
0: hit the lottery or something
1: Freezer.
4: vacuum vacuum seal desiccants couple feet oh, with something to reinforce the the walls this is all hypothetical
0: we're just joking we'll move on to the next topic before we get into uh
4: (laughs) uh, (laughs) how to demonetize your entire channel good luck
6: wait i want to tell you about the hour hour here to reset
3: so let's talk psilocybin let's just go out let's go everywhere let's hit them all
0: that's legal here (laughs) in oakland in california and it's also legal in denver so it's getting more and more accessible. so much shit is
4: legal now ketamine uh what yeah they have uh they have like ketamine and ketamine labs uh, where i want to say in the pacific
6: northwest somewhere i can't remember L- look uh, it up everything's legal if you, you know. don't get caught huh. but i didn't get to tell my story about the old italian family who has a, a landfill in their backyard they're know other stuff though
5: let's hear it
7: that was it <laughs> <laughs> you have more detail. Come on. Uh,
2: no, I can't.
7: If you I don't know anything about old Italian family net.
0: stories, that's how they usually end.
2: All this bluff. <laughs> I'm reminded that, uh, when uh, Sean told us about how Rhode Island is particularly corrupt, and how there was like w- like one or two families that were like just the moguls of the entire state, all however small it is.
0: Well, yeah, it's the lead politician. I think it's their like, governor is basically married to the guy who's got the license for the largest legal operation and they're squeezing out any other people from having opportunity to get licenses. So they have essentially a monopoly on something that they, uh, I don't know, it's political. I think these were like a monopoly
7: on mids. Mono, amid, mid, a mids midopoly.
2: That's terrible. The mids mafia.
5: I'm chat. Reminded.
2: chat have any questions chat where are Sorry. you chat tell us about everything
3: that's laughing chat. at us right now that's what chat's doing Kate shout shout out out i like this talk <laughs> <laughs> respect <laughs> shout out, out to, the, to Andy happy for the happy birthday thank you
2: did you do anything special for your birthday
3: um it's all a matter of perspective man I, I smoked a lot of weed A lot of people will say that's special. Some people will say that's just another day. I don't know, man. (laughs) I had a good day. I had a good day. I can say that.
7: (laughs) What counts? I've got some cool stuff going on. Working on this farm out here. It seems like it's going to be... I think things will be up by the end of August by the end of September or maybe the end of October,
0: which is really good stuff. I uh, I have a question from somebody in the chat, but I wanted to throw out something I'm working on. I've announced it on a few other shows, but I'm working on a few books just about like strain history. Everybody always asks me about that kind of stuff. And uh, it's like a play on the book title, 50 uh, shades of gray, which is a pretty big selling book, but it's completely different category. I'm going to call it 50 strains of green. And 50 strains of purple will be like the follow up with maybe a third and fourth, which would be like 50 strains greener and 50 strains darker. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of the history about the breeder origin, where it came from, all that good stuff. And I'm going to be doing an audio book that I'm going to be recording at uh, much too many other listeners requests and people in my DMs are like, oh, we want the audio book. So it will do paperback, uh, ebook and audio book. And I'll try and have that ready by December this year. So look forward to those. Uh, sour should, diesel tangy. I
7: gotta, I gotta send over the information that you
2: requested.
0: Yeah, you're slacking, man. I've got a thousand strains, so you might get bumped to the second book if you don't hurry. Oh
2: shit! You should you okay. should make a compendium. You should make a compendium called uh, however many in addition uh, strains danker, and just have all of them together. That's the master. So this one. is
0: inspired by the late subcool. I was a tester for him and his genetic uh, company, and he had a book called. Uh, the Dank, like a Breeder's Quest for the best cannabis or something like that, and then the follow up is like the Dank 2.0, which is pretty similar to the style of book that I'm making right now. And it's going to be a lot more modern cultivars, and then just uh, some of the old school ones as well, and going through their history and all that good stuff, breaking it down for the people. I think it'll be a good coffee table book for people who like that kind of thing. And so I'm excited to be writing it. It's been a really fun process. I'm like 40 or so pages in. I plan to have it be like a little over 100 pages. At least one page of text per strain, and at least one page of photos for each strain, and then some uh, info on all the breeders and a uh, little intro and conclusion type thing.
4: What are some of your favorite strains that you've looked at for the for the book so far?
0: Oh man, it's really wide, um, from Chem ninety one OG Kush to stuff from Subcool like Chernobyl, uh, Jack the Ripper. Chem has some
4: really cool history, dude. Like, if anybody doesn't know, there's like that's probably the most rich cannabis genetic history uh that you can research it's a lot of fun
0: yeah i mean it's uh eye-opening when you look at seed finder and they say that there's like 17,000 strains or something crazy and i was like holy shit so it's gonna make it really easy to write because i have a book of a thousand strains that i've tried personally um and like their medical effect for me and the smell just over the last decade in california i try like three things a week and just go and buy like a gram or an eighth or whatever and uh through doing that so most of these experiences are gonna be from me firsthand, but also growers locally and growers online that I've met that are growing these things. Uh, will be submitting photos and things like that. So it's gonna be a fun project. But with uh, all the self-promotion aside, I didn't really plan on doing that, um, but figured it was the appropriate time after Brandon brought up some of that good stuff. Uh, Sour Diesel Tanji asked us to go into a new topic, which he said, uh, if you wanna grow a question, we could talk a little bit about far red 700 nanometer plus versus UVA and what I can expect. Uh, They're going to be doing a side-by-side in their next run, and they just wanted to say hello. So shout out to Sour Diesel Tangy. They're a long-time listener. They're pretty uh, continual. I wouldn't say like religious, but uh, a habitual listener. They're always in the chat. I see them uh, continually supporting us, so shout out to them. Happy to take your question. I would say the far red is known to produce a little bit of stretch. If it's run with 660 nanometer red, then you can get what's called the Emerson effect, which boosts your photosynthesis a little bit, but you have to run them both during lights on. Uh, 700 nanometer red can be run at the end of your cycle to put the plants to sleep a little bit faster, which can allow you to run like 1311 versus 1212. So uh, does anybody want to talk a little bit about UVA and what they might be able to expect from UVA being run?
2: Maybe a little bit of um, trichome production or cannabinoid production um, because it's thought that, uh, because of the way the cannabinoids sort of um, degrade Um, With exposure to ultraviolet light, that can have an effect. But um, to be honest, I don't know. Is there any research that's more articulate about that sort of a thing that you know of, Jack?
0: There's some uh, research that indicates UVA and UVB may be responsible to increase like THC and maybe even terpene production. But it's mostly like observational. Like they looked at stuff grown outside in the mountains where there's higher UV elevation. Versus stuff grown more in the lowland and things like that.
1: I agree the the research is still out I would say on on really what the the cannabinoid effect of u v is. There are other potential uses to to use that and I
2: agree with with
1: Jack about sort of the six sixty nanometers in the red spectrum um, in particular is helpful um, outside of that, you also have to sort of deal with um you know, the, the far red and the, the UV light aren't really being used for, for direct photosynthesis, um, but they can do other things to signal some other kinds of plant behavior. Jack mentioned that the 700 plus for photo in sort of initiation um, and potential like pest mitigation efforts and all that stuff. But when we're thinking about sort of flocks, um, you're really thinking still within the par wavelengths.
0: Its proposed finishing time might be earlier um there's some research at apogee with other flowers and uh, they've looked at far red potentially making if it's even exposed in veg that had an, a, a yeah. factor and then in flower it might make it produce flowers earlier and finish flowering at a shorter cycle
1: yeah and and those effects are fairly marginal, but they're they're sort of statistically valid in in some other crops. I think that we really need to to understand more about that and There probably is better understanding within some of the research that's going on, whether it's sort of all publicly available or not. But I think that that's it's an interesting and sort of exciting area of of, uh, development in light. Um, But I, I, I certainly think that UV and IR are far less important to us as growers than the amount of attention that they get when we're talking about lighting. Um, all of these sort of influences that they might have are going to be pretty marginal. Otherwise, we would be much more confident in sort of (laughs) what's going on there. So there may be statistically sort of valid and reliable relationships uh, that are occurring, but they're not as significant. When you're thinking about light, the number one thing you should think about is flux. Um, These kinds of spectrum issues are sort of features that sort of uh, dress it up a bit but I don't think they're the primary sort of thing that uh, to focus on.
0: Migro uh, had an interesting video where they went and visit a place where they're growing all types of herbs from uh, rosemary to uh, medicinal hemp and hemp as we all know is actually just cannabis um, depending on where you are there's different legal uh, standards for it but in hemp they found under the plasma lighting which had lots of UV not just UVA but UVA and UVB and a whole bunch of other different stuff on the spectrum. It increased the terpenes amount uh, on cannabis and rosemary. Uh, cannabis being hemp in this uh, case, but they're doing stuff for like oils and extraction. So they're actually taking data on it. So if you look into Migros YouTube channel about plasma, uh, it was a pretty interesting video for sure. The one other thing I wanted to say about UVA, I don't run UVA, but I do run 440 nanometer blue, which is really close. Like it's on like this end of the spectrum, 440 blue, and then you're getting like 300s, uh, high 300s for the UVs. UVA, UVB are all pretty close in that range, and then UVC is a bit lower, but um, that 440 nanometer blue increases anthocyanin production, so if you have plants that have a tendency to turn purple, they're more likely to be a little bit more purple under the UVA, I would expect or guess, because I've noticed that myself personally since starting to run the uh, 440 nanometer blue, my plants just get a lot more purple than they used to without running it just with a 3500k cob.
4: Dude, Tao just dropped uh, in the chat, uh, like while we were bullshitting about things we think we know, he dropped scientific shit right here. UVB radiation effects on photosynthesis, growth, and cannabinoid production of two cannabis sativa chemotypes. Not that you weren't, not that things you were saying were wrong,
6: Jack, you're totally That's correct. That's the paper I was and referencing,
0: being the observation. Oh, moment. was it really? It's, oh, perfect. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it, it talks about hemp and uh, drug cultivar uh, cannabis Yeah,
6: it pretty much says some cultivars are unaffected by the added UV UVB light, and they use UVB. And uh, some, the, what they call the drug cultivar, uh, it actually created about 25% more THC in the flowers and the leaves. And in the hemp one, it really didn't make a difference. So, I mean, take, like like I always tell everyone, I don't trust any information at all. I always, even white papers, I read them, and then I uh, I don't take them as you know blind faith i always try and you know check on it and stuff like that some of them are old and some are outdated some are just total bs so no matter what it is you get check it. yeah it's
0: yeah. good to be skeptical to and, and about all
1: the the research on cannabis that comes out of the 80s in particular during the the Reagan era sort of build up in the war on drugs A lot of otherwise credible science directed towards sort of uh, these kinds of questions um, certainly had a a political slant to them.
2: Tell me about it. I constantly have to have the same conversation with people about like viruses and cannabis, for example. I'll tell people, somebody will assert cannabis as tobacco mosaic virus. This particular one has it. Okay, that's cool. And then they'll say that it's true no matter what. Then I ask, Oh, do you have any evidence for that? I'm really interested in reading. And then they go, Oh, yeah, sure. And they'll always like, they'll cite like some McPartland textbook that's like from the, like with research from like the 70s and 80s from like Romania or someplace, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. I'm not knocking uh, the Romanian people. But what I am saying is that uh, that research, (laughs) <laughs> how we understand viruses uh, for, for one thing, the heart of article that McFarland uh, references, it's um it says that TMV is symptomless uh, in cannabis. So when people cite that research, it's like, well, but you're seeing symptoms. So obviously that does, is not congruent with what you're saying. They see like, like variegation,
0: so- right? That's what I see people always reporting. Oh, I have TMV, but I'm seeing a variegated plant always in my opinion.
2: yeah or some sort of mosaicism or modeling or something which are very common viral and other pathogen traits but usually viral Matt Um, I have a question
5: mm.
4: um my understanding of viruses is that they kind of like act extremely rapidly in both humans and plants um Is it the case that if 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 a plant were to get something like a mosaic virus, it would probably die and not just keep living and producing? Or what's your what's your take on that?
2: Typically TMV is lethal or really debilitating.
4: So if your plant is living with a variegation, it's not TMV.
0: Well, and I would say this not all viruses are the same. There's there's cannabis cryptic virus where the plant lives with little to no issue.
2: I mean there's a possibility for resistance there's a possibility that the virus isn't super adapted to or the or they're, or maybe there are some strains that are more cannabis um virulent than others like viruses are super dynamic in that way or at least they have the capacity to be and for me it just it just comes down to I'd like us to have the techno- with the technology that we have and perhaps this has already happened in some you know corner of the world and I haven't done my due diligence but I've, I've looked into it a lot and I I tend to come up with inconclusive information like there seems to be some in- the other thing is that I wouldn't be sh- I wouldn't be surprised in the least because TMV tobacco mosaic virus and its whole family um, that is a part of are super abundant and infect a ton of different species so I wouldn't be surprised if cannabis is one of them but you know please use the the genomics and the uh you know the viral uh detection technology that we have now for plants and i'd like to hear and see that you know
4: and then just to co- bring it back i mean it's highly unlikely you're going to even be able to test for it because your plants probably dead by the time the results come back i mean you know
0: well dude grows uh the dude on dude grow show or DGC, their little community over there, he claimed that he thought he had it because I think he uses chewing tobacco uh, dip. And when he handled the tobacco and then handled the plant, he believed that he infected it. I, I don't know if there was some other reason that his plant was sick, but he ended up killing it off. And I'd say a lot of, unfortunately, the people that are claiming it are home growers that don't have the resources to go get it tested to see if it is TMV or not.
1: And they find guides online that tell them how to diagnose sort of cannabis or tobacco mosaic virus in cannabis, which is really more an SEO strategy than anything else, which is really too bad. I think that, that a lot of uh, questionable information about things like this is because of websites that try to sort of gain traffic from publicizing that kind of stuff. Well, that case that, he was, that Jack
3: was just talking about with Guru, he was actually, Taken a class yeah. in horticulture, and he was handling material as an example of what tobacco might. My- so he knew uh, it was I wasn't actually mice. thinking I think.
1: about that. I don't know that that's that that's the sort of uh, article. When he got
3: home, his plants started getting the symptoms, and so yeah, I don't know. I believe the guy. I, I, I from everything I've heard him say, I haven't heard him say too many things that were like far out there. So I, I believe what he said. I, like, I really wasn't talking about that.
0: I didn't Let hear about the guru guys- story.
3: I was actually a friend of the, the dudes,
0: but uh, oh, oh you always
3: said. Du- oh, I just assumed it was a Guru when you said talking But I
0: think they may have both experienced it for sure. So I think it might be two separate stories we're both talking so about. So this dude was handling the fire.
3: To yeah, he. Uh, he was for school. student. Yeah. So he was. They were. They were going through, and he was. Uh, they were identifying plants that day, or, or plants with that with that virus that day, and uh, that was part of the class. Well, then he started seeing it crop come up in his crop at home. The American yeah, one predicated, have...
6: Yeah, predicated breeding got that New England rock. Was he had someone in California get it tested for all them diseases? Was TMB one of the um? Yeah. Ones tested. No, no, actually,
0: I don't think it was. <coughs> uh, it was like a tomato virus. Um,
6: it wasn't. up yeah.
0: latent viroid, and a few others. Oh, I can pull it up. <laughs> it's in our. Do they recently. even
6: have the DM? TM, the TMB one. There's a there's a it's hemp.
2: Incredibly common, so they should.
4: There's a hemp. um mosaic virus that is like a I think it's like a for a lot you know just because I don't understand the the how the hierarchy works but I think it's like a subsidiary of or some kind of like sub like class of or something What what's up with that they
2: use, um, so actually although they're not like considered living to most people uh, they do use a similar sort of hierarchy phylogeny so like you know, family, then genus, and quote-unquote species, or at least that's one of several different virus um, classification sort of uh, hierarchies. But, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that TM so tobacco mosaic virus is, one, really common, two, it's spread by a lot of common pests, three, a lot of those pests are also pests of cannabis, and four, I would expect to just see a lot more of it, Um but it's possible that it has unique interactions with the cannabis. Like maybe it's not a great host. So that could be why we're not seeing so much virulence. So it's, it's certainly like, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just flummoxed that we don't have in 2020, like someone who's done it for their dissertation or something, I guess.
0: I will say it's probably going to come out of, uh, I would guess Israel or Canada because they're doing good research on it. Uh, some of the old research done in the United States was done by NIDA or the National Institute of Drug Abuse on cannabis. And not to say that they're biased, but look at their name. Uh, they weren't studying cannabis. They
1: are biased. To... Hold on. I'll say that they're biased. I, I mean, it's an organization that was founded as part of the war on drugs. I mean, that was the, the whole... Yeah, we're, we're the
4: Christians and we're doing uh, research on God. <laughs> What? You know, it, it's biased research, it, and it and it not, it isn't necessarily you know congruent with science. You know,
2: uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. Like
0: to get back to the American one's point, he talked about uh, one of our panel members who's not here with us tonight. Kyle of Predicative Breeding sent off a clone to a person out here who got it tested. Clean testing for AMV Alfalfa Mosaic Virus, ARMV Arabic Mosaic Virus, CMV Cucumber mosaic virus, TMV, uh, I'm not going to pronounce that one, but t- er, Toba-moviruses.
2: Tobamo- Tobamovirus. So tobacco mosaic virus and the group of that is a part of are the to- Tobamoviruses.
0: T-R-S-V, of tobacco ring spot virus. Uh, T-O-R-S-V, tomato ring spot virus. T-S-V, tobacco steak virus. B-C-T-V, which is the B- curly top virus, which we saw in hemp. Uh, Matthew's talked about that a little bit. LCV, lettuce, uh, chlorosis virus, which he's also talked about with the, I believe the silver leaf white flies video. And then finally, the one that most people are, or there's two more, HLVD, which is the hop latent viroid. And then PP, phytoplasmas, tested clean for all that. So shout out to Kyle and the New England rock candy uh, for being clean of all that. Who
2: who did that testing?
0: It was uh, Hendrix Farms, which is a clone uh, nursery that produces clones for commercial uh, flower growers out here in California, I believe.
1: They, they uh, commissioned the test at a lab, I'd imagine, right? Or they yeah. are at a lab that did the test.
0: Yeah. I, it looks like he copied and pasted it into a text and sent it to Kyle. Uh, it doesn't have like the C O A.
1: So I think that's the the clone farm that Kyle is working with, and I bet they sent it off to some lab that
5: did the actual. Whole right.
2: Account. So shout out to whoever they are for looking into lead sclerosis virus and beet curly top virus, but also phytoplasmas. I don't see that a lot, and I'm glad that they considered those because I've been talking about them for years, and I feel like no, like I'm surprised that people don't talk about it more. Maybe I'm Matthew. just unique.
6: But... I got a question. So we got viruses and we got vi- vi- viroids. Now, how does a plant uh, get infected? It has to be from uh, an outside, like has to get cut or no. How does it, How can they just get it from air floating around or does it have to be an insect? You got to practice someone... social
1: distancing with your yeah,
6: plant. Yeah, because is it someone that goes to a class for tom- 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 tomato virus and brings it back home? Or is there other dangers?
2: So tobacco mosaic virus in particular is um, really, so what's unique about it is that it's really stable outside of a host, which is not common for viruses in general, um, or at least plant viruses. A lot of plant viruses, I would even say most plant viruses are vectored by some insect or arthropod. That's usually how it happens. Although they can be vectored like mechanically through like what you say, a wound or a cut but that's usually secondary to what would happen normally in nature, which would be like an aphid or something or, or a white fly. Um, And so some vectors are what are called, oh man, I'm free in the technical terms, but basically there's like some that are persistent. Yeah. There's persistent and semi-persistent. So there's some that are, that are going to be consistently able to vector it. Some of them are only able to vector if they feed on the plant material and take up the virus at a, part, a certain life stage. So like only if they do it, if they were a larva when they did it, and then they have it as an adult or something like this. So it's actually kind of complex, but usually in nature, it's a, it's a vector, um, some sort of uh, organism like an insect or an arthropod takes it, you know, like a mosquito, you know, it sucks the phloem out of one plant puts it in another plant, which by the way, that plant might be totally symptomless and not be affected, but can still keep the virus in it. So they can be sort of a um, symptomless transmission uh, source. So then the organ, so like the insect might feed on it, and you won't even know. And then it will travel to your hemp crop or whatever crop, and then it'll just destroy everything with the virus. This happened with lettuce sclerosis virus. This happens with you know this happens with a ton of different uh pathogens in general but viruses particularly
3: what's the what's the size of like a virus as compared to a microbe is there like a is it possible that endophytes might be able to work on a virus to make it to neutralize it or something
2: i could see how like an endophyte might somehow augment the immune system or something but like we're talking incredibly incredibly tiny like is it nanometers really i think so maybe like they might be several hundred nanometers let me let me check on that for you because and viroids are smaller um is my understanding there are some viruses that are particularly large too especially in um the ocean
3: yeah that's what i was figuring i was thinking in my head i was like man i wonder if we could use endophytes to help us there just like you would with like maybe a, a fungal attack or something but uh then I thought, I don't know, I don't know much about viruses and viroids. I don't know what the size is. I think they're pretty basic. So that would mean they're pretty, probably very small.
2: Yeah. Um a, a cursory look on Google will send will tell you that they're from five to three hundred nanometers or so, which is also the um this is also the metric that we measure light wavelength in, right? So just to give some perspective,
1: yeah that is good perspective there
5: yeah but viruses are no our fun.
1: concept
4: that can we talk about that for a second that we're measuring
2: a physical thing with light is part airplane. lights are particles and waves at the same time. Uh-huh. OK, so when we say
4: nanometers and we're talking about color, we're talking about the size of the particle?
1: I'm talking about the frequency of the vibration.
4: So nanometers is a measurement of the wave peak height. of the frequency?
1: Yeah, it's a measurement of the wave height.
4: OK. But it is not a measurement of the particle size?
6: No. It's a riddle wrapped in a
1: Yeah, photons are are sneaky things. I like to just yes light, as, light as, is
6: uh, weird in their
1: that own little thing. But yeah
7: they, they are the schmiegels of of the, mo- of the uh, molecular world.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there's another area that we don't fully understand yet in physics, um, like light. Um, but yeah, they're both particles and waves, and we sort of need to be able to think about them in both directions. So when we're thinking about the, the wavelength, the frequency, um that affects spectrum um but when we're thinking about them in terms of flux we're really thinking about sort of the individual photons almost as being like physical things that are hitting the plant um and it's like i mean what i do with par testing is basically counting photons um counting how many photons can be hitting the plant um and that's your your photosynthetic photon flux and we measure the density of how sort of densely those photons are packed together. Um, but that's a different sort of dimension of thinking about light than the the wavelength, um, the, the sort of spectrum, or, or you could think about it even sort of like what how how are they vibrating as they come in? Um, there's different analogies, but again sort of we need to be able to think about it in two different kinds of directions. And I, I, back to my other point earlier too, I think that we spend maybe too much of our energies trying to wrap our minds around spectrum um, where for a lot of the the basic sort of issues about growing we need to be concerned about flux, about how many photons there are hitting the plants and about how they're distributed across sort of the grow space and the canopy um the the spectrum is a concern but i would argue it's a secondary concern to the distribution of flux
0: and just for reference so we have it on the show uh, we're talking about some of the nanometers and uh 400 to 700 is the par wavelength for those who aren't aware 400 yeah. to 700 nanometers and it's like four to 500 is blue five to 600 is green and like six to 700 is red roughly it's not exact but yeah,
2: depending on what now, culture so you come from that it. calls green, blue, and blue, green. That's another thing that for those who don't know, is an interesting cultural phenomenon. Um, well, like, a for great example, deal. Yeah, that's actually something that I
1: get into in one of my in my classes, Matt. Um, there's a great well, deal awesome. of, of cultural uniformity in identifying um, archetype colors. So if a culture has a word for red, they will choose the same color as sort of the the archetype of red. Um, Not every culture has a word for red, um, but it's the third most common. So if you have a language that only has three um, color terms, they'll be sort of white, black, and and red. Um, You're correct. And yellows and greens get sort of um, mixed up, oftentimes lumped into the same category or different categories. But what's really interesting is if a culture has a word for a, a particular color category, um, Brent Berlin did this study. Um, they, they gave everybody like a big histogram wheel and asked them to identify like the archetype color of that color term. And they would choose very similar tiles. Um, and they think that's actually a result of the way that the rods and cones are sensitive to different wavelengths of, of light that comes in.
6: I have a couple questions. You know how we were talking about the solar hits? Why don't light manufacturers just put a magnifying glass underneath the bulb and make it intense as they want it? I'll tell and you couldn't, why. Couldn't they? All right, couldn't they also make different kinds of yeah. filters to make it one for veg and one for Those flower? They did. I think they're okay, yeah. right.
5: lenses,
0: and optics and science right. LED uses them. Science LED uses them. That's why it's hard to get a good PAR test on or PPFD test on their lights, according to them. And if you stick a PPFD meter under there and you start like kind of flipping it around. You'll have a lot of different readings. Personally, at least, Timber Girl Lights, who I grow with, their cobs, they actually stopped putting any of those reflectors that are like the more down style on the cob, even though it looks like it's focusing down. When they did the PPFD readouts, it was 8 to 10% loss on every single one of those that they tested on, every single layout of fixture that they had. So I tend to think that oftentimes the reflectors or optics tend to just lose uh, total. PPL, the lenses redirecting certainly.
1: it. Yeah, I agree with that. We can't just focus the light. This is why it's important to think about it in terms of flux. Like there's an amount of photons that the fixture is capable of producing, um, and, and no matter how you focus them or distribute them, it's it can only subtract from that amount. You can't add more light. You can't just sort of fill up the space more. And that's one of the things that I think when you think about light as sort of just being like the visible light that we see, it's different than when you're really counting photons. Um, there's a limited number of them, and they're going to strike sort of one place or another place. You can focus them in, um, and in the process, you're going to lose some of them um, so, such that you can make more of them hit the place that you want to hit. Um, But I agree with Jack, those efforts to sort of redirect the photons, you lose photons every single time you try to touch them. Um, They bounced around, right? Yeah, you get those reflective losses. And actually, this is the video I'm working on really gets into um, how much, sort of how many more photons you get when you give them a chance to hit the canopy, um, as opposed to having a smaller space with reflective walls.
4: I got a question, Dr. MJ, Um, maybe maybe you can answer it. Uh, You have a lot of experience with lighting. Um, If we are cooling our lights, like let's say you have a small grow tent and you have like an old school high pressure sodium light um, or even like a high powered LED that puts off a lot of heat and you're like running some sort of system where you're trying to cool the light with fans or something. Are you taking away from the optimum function of that light because that light needs warmth to function no otherwise-
1: leds run most efficiently when they're cold okay
4: yeah, it's
0: different than like an air-cooled hps which when it got cooled the temperature that it was running at changed the gas yeah. inside of the bulb right. and made it less efficient so i see where it, you're it's going to really
1: chilling hps bulb yeah you're, you're right an hps has sort of a higher optimum operating temperatures but leds are most efficient when they're the coldest so running them colder or keeping them cooler will improve the efficiency um and it's it's notable i can see it every time i turn on an led with i have the sensor under it
2: i just want to say that um just to answer the question for um the american one like this is probably i don't know maybe it's a little too much but when we uh, people do make such things like jack was saying and other people were saying but if you have a magnifying glass, and I don't know if it's, like, if it would be the right focus or whatever, I don't know if people could be bothered to, like, cover it. But one reason I wouldn't want to particularly, uh, I would want a lens that's meant to, like, catch a bunch of sunlight and focus it unattended, potentially, is the chance of starting a fire. That would be my uh, reason for that. Well, it sounded it was, like, like a was thinking...
1: Sorry, it sounded like or you just, were thinking about just sort of increasing the amount of light by using a magnifying glass. And what I was trying to—the point I was trying to make—is there's a limited number of photons. um You can't increase them everywhere at the same time. All you can right, do is can concentrate, concentrate them or spread them out. Yeah.
2: Oh, I thought he right, meant right. for like a for like because you were talking about like oh because you started right, the sentence talking hits, about the bong like the lighting see, it with, right.
6: with sunlight. Yeah, I was talking about, but specifically putting underneath an indoor light. You don't, you don't want to do that with the sunlight on a plant. Yeah, obviously, but like an indoor light, maybe you could use a 200 watt with a magnifier glass, you know, positioned properly big enough that will increase it to say, a, you know, a thousand watt. Uh, no, literally. it doesn't
1: work that way. So magnifying okay. glass doesn't yeah. increase the number of photons. It just concentrates them, moves them around. So it takes the photons that would have drifted to a much wider arc and focuses them into a narrower beam. Um, right. But so that just counter to the coverage, coverage area. Exactly. And so that's why when sort of in our grow light guide, I'm, I'm really trying to promote the idea of usable PPF, which is the number of photons that arrive to the canopy. And that number is sort of what a fixture can produce in terms of that number of photons. And that determines sort of how much space it can cover and still give an adequate distribution of light across that space, right? Um, But none of these sort of tricks really, it all starts with the the photosynthetic photon flux that's sort of possible from the, the fixture given its sort of build, given the components and the electricity that it uses.
0: Doc, I wanted to bring up a few in regards to what you just said. Um, yeah. There's a product called the Solar Tube, I believe, that they're yeah. starting to put into like greenhouses and houses where they take like a thing that captures the sunlight and it brings yep. it through a tube and then drops it into your house. And they're yep. using that just for like more natural lighting and, and urban environment. But I've seen a indoor grow room that's using that to run much more do you they're know what kind of flux they're getting through those
1: tubes? I mean, I know they're getting good illumination. They're getting... They set it up
0: with enough to get the r- range of PPFD that you would want with a grow light, uh, depending on the day, obviously, because if it's cloudy, that'll uh, make it yeah. worse. So they have LEDs and stuff that will dim. kind of Yeah, like a, I've clogged you know...
1: my sun here at 2100. Um, so you're starting with a pretty good PPFD if you have a bright, sunny day, clear sky. Um, And even if you lost quite a bit. So there are definitely systems that you could do that. Um, But again, you're dealing with the size of the the collector and the sort of coverage area of that collector in the garden. Um, If you're thinking on on a perfect day in a perfect climate, you might be able to get 2000 PPFD on that collector, wherever the collector is sort of positioned on the roof or whatever. Um, so if you have a 4x4 four four collector, you might be able to get enough light to sort of power a, a two by
6: my face with the sort of losses in transmission of that light, I would think. You know, I have a question. Why doesn't more commercial operations that are indoor operations just have a glass roof? You don't have to do the whole glass building or even not even glass, just plexiglass the extra sunlight is not going to hurt. And you can Brandon, put what's up? beams, you could put beams with light. Brandon's got to um, head out, y'all. With lighting. Yeah, I think these
1: gotten. solar tubes are probably a better option. Um, you know, if you really have it wide open in the glass, you're running in a greenhouse and you have other kinds of issues, but there's certainly a lot of hybrid cultivation done in glass roofed greenhouses to take advantage of the sunlight that um, it requires running light depth and doing other things. Um, and sometimes having that, that open can, well, I mean, it depends on how it's insulated. Their build cost is going to be a lot higher and you have to look into sort of what is the, the added um, benefit of that light compared to how expensive it would be to manufacture the light through artificial
6: means. Well, you would need both, but you'd probably be able to turn Brandon off the electric out, for I a think. while. Oh, bye, Brandon. I think he's already gone,
5: yeah. Yeah, peace uh, okay. out, Brandon.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to include... Uh, I talked about the range of PAR earlier, the 400 nanometer. Another thing that's not as often used, it's B PAR, which is biologically plant active radiation, which is the UV range and the far red range. So up to 800 nanometer red and in the UVs. So I just wanted to throw that out there because those are things that do have a, uh, like it says, biologically plant active it creates a trigger in something within the plant it might not be exactly just like right. uh ranges but they do have effects on the growth of the plant
1: can i can i address why we shouldn't count those photons in a par test though sure cuz this has come up and people keep saying that we should use sort of the, a meter that counts all of those photons that are at the top end of the the spectrum um but they are biologically active, potentially. We talked about some of the, the photoperiod signaling that some of the, the higher, um, you know, above 700 nanometer light can do, but they're not powering photosynthesis. And so when we are measuring PAR, we're really trying to count the photons that are going to be responsible for, for powering photosynthesis. And while it is true that some of those higher um, frequency lights have Um, benefits potentially. They're not photosynthetic benefits. They're not going to be used in the same way by the plant and so mixing them, counting them all together um, really just sort of corrupts the data. So we there's no, if those wavelengths are important, they're not important in a flux perspective. So counting their flux um, really would produce data that was meaningless if well
6: you could do one with and one without
2: yeah that's how i feel about it i agree with you dr mj that like from a photosynthesis perspective purely that yeah. it makes more sense not what about the them, emerson effect
0: but... though because that directly and 730 because the 730 that's what the emerson effect was he ran 660 by itself measured how much it right was, but the emerson effect itself, we're not measuring the emerson
1: bit. effect with the par test jack we're measuring those photons that, that are actually driving photosynthesis so if there is some sort of um you know synchrony effect there between those other wavelengths they're not directly contributing as much as they're sort of operating in symphony with the other photons that are already there. And, and that's something that you need to be aware of as a grower. If the light provides some of those, those frequencies that are outside the par range, you need to be aware of that, and that's a potential benefit of the light, but those photons should not be counted along with all of the other photons when we're measuring the photosynthetic photon flux or the the or the PPFD densities. They don't affect the plant the same way, so it, it doesn't it, it's not meaningful to include those photons when you're measuring sort of the maximum ppfd that the plant can be exposed to it, it's an it like important this, potential set of of knowledge to have about a light but it's a different set of data than what we would measure in a park.
2: that's
5: kind of yeah, how yeah. i took it i think it's,
3: the way. Oh, sorry go ahead matthew
2: yeah i just wanted to jump in and say that that's kind of how i feel about it sort of like in that perspective like for example from an IPM perspective, you know, one thing that I check, you know, here's a, here's a tip for everyone. I check the UV index. Why do I do that? Well, it's not because I'm trying to see how it'll affect the Emerson effect. I'm trying to see if it'll be uh, particularly problematic for fungi, for spores in the air, fun- uh, fungal, bacterial, even a sort of plants like ferns and that sort of a thing. Um, you know, a lot of skin. arthropods are not huge fans of ultraviolet radiation and will avoid it actively. Um, and so, you know, that just gives me sort of a context. If this, if I'm in an area where it's very common, especially in the spring and summer, to have really high UV index, like where I live, that can be kind of nice and helpful to know from um, sort of a perspective that is not worried about photosynthetic activity, if that makes sense.
0: I wanted so, to say... I agree with Dr. MJ as well, because uh, the 700 plus range, I look at it more like a trigger because it's not part of my main driver of the light. Like if it was a car, I'd look at it as like my turbo or something, because it's just like a small percentage. I only run like a few watts of 730 nanometer red, but the majority yeah. of my par is coming in the 3,500 Kelvin range, which right. is almost all
6: in the par range. Right.
5: Okay. And let so I mean, let me I play know, devil's advocate for, for a second.
6: That's like saying counting cannabis only on THC. Is the way I'm kind of seeing it, you know, who knows what all
5: those
3: other ones. I think it's more like, I think, Tao, you have to look at it. No, you have to look at it more like this, Tao. It's like the measurement that Dr. Coco is interested in is how much, is is how much, well, the reason is that how much energy am I throwing at the plants? Because I want to make that the maximum amount of energy. So those extra amounts of light that we're talking about don't really figure into that. Right. But if you want us to figure into that, then you're going to say, "Oh, I can't turn it up as high." You see what I mean? And that's not true. Exactly. It can take that maximum amount. Right.
5: Exactly. Now there's
1: a there's another way you could kind of think about this. Tao is it would be like I'm trying to measure the THC, and you're telling me that CBD and all these other things are also important, so I should just add them all together and give you one number. And I say, right. Okay. And I it's like, like that, that 33 is no a separate. meaningless number that, at that point
6: is, because it's not right. counting the same thing. And it it's could be 33 CBD, zero THC. But is there a way to, to separate and know what the numbers are? And is it can you even measure it doesn't that on the stuff? That's actually does it. They have a the par far, far sensor. The far red and the UV,
1: it's like you just need a little bit of flux. The flux is not the important feature of those features in the light. So measuring the flux output from them is inconsequential. It's like having an extra feature on your light, but it's not a feature related to flux. So, so it's, it's like um, a powered window a yeah, or window like goes up like or down knob or something else, right? It's just another feature. It takes some of the electricity though that the light is using. So you should be aware of that. If you have two lights that perform in a par test basically the same um, and they get the same efficiency, but one of them is also powering some IR chips, you know, that's, that's not being counted in the efficiency number. So that, that light is actually a little bit more efficient. You could think about it that way. Or if one that has a bunch of IR and UV comes in with a lower photon efficiency, it might be because a lot of the electricity that it's, that it's drawing is powering those other features of the light that aren't contributing to PAR.
0: The electric sky is a perfect example of that. They have a bunch of far red and UV, like a lot more than most. Right. It's the so most of any a- LED I've seen. It's like a, a huge chunk, more than I would recommend personally, but I've seen people grow dank under those lights. Shout out to Mr. Canucks Grows. He kills it under them, so.
3: That reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you, Dr. Coco, and I'm almost out of time, so um, uh-huh. I'll try to make it quick, but I'm just trying to get understanding. Are you seeing, because I, I saw one on your, uh, I believe it was a Mars light. Yeah. Numbers I remember in my head was a, a 2.8 was what was advertised, but you only it came in at like 2.1, but you said that was like common. Are you getting that on most lights where they're not even- Every light. Every
5: yeah, light? yeah. I
1: mean, that's what, the, that's what the grow light calculator is all about. The numbers that the manufacturers um, publish are usually calculated values. Um, occasionally, manufacturers actually send their, their fixtures off for sphere testing but neither of those calculated values of the sphere testing describe the amount of light that actually reaches a grow space. So what we measure is the amount of light that actually arrives to the canopy in a simulated grow. And it will always be lower because you suffer reflective losses, you suffer thermal losses and other things in the fixture itself. Um, And so the, the PAR testing is really a better way to evaluate sort of what you're gonna get when you put that light in a grow space. Um, manufacturers always are going to put sphere tested numbers because a sphere test counts every single photon, no matter what direction it leaves the fixture in, it all gets counted the same. Um, And you'll really see this clearly in the video that I'm doing now, Um, you know, moving the walls further away and not and having fewer of them reflect off the walls really changes sort of how many photons arrive to the canopy. Um, so you have a much better sense of what you're really gonna get. But our numbers are are absolutely gonna be lower than what the manufacturers quote. And that's because they're really coming from different sort of sources and different ways about thinking about
6: what flux is important. Yeah, Steve at HLG said they they and when they do test, <clears throat> they test under optimum conditions like there's a certain point where you turn it on, the light gets as brightest as it could get, and that's what the that's the measurement they'll take. And either, <laughs> you know, like
1: the the, so. the ways to cheat are actually really. I mean, I see a lot of ways to cheat at par tests, and I try to point them out when I do my videos. Um, but they're they're really nefarious little tricks that they can do. Um, well,
3: to be fair with with HLG, they have both. Yeah, they, I'm they, not they talking about that in particular.
6: I'm just talking uh, about yeah.
1: manufacturers. The way that parts no, can get, be
6: manipulated are, are numerous. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Steve was saying that other manufacturers, that's how they were, were yeah. getting their numbers. Not, that's not how HLG does it. That's not what I was saying. One of the
1: really common things you'll see is testing lights, doing a part test in a grow tent with a reflective floor. Um, and that really dramatically increases the PPFD numbers all across the canopy. The other thing manufacturers will do is test them in too large of a test area um, because it increases the number of photons that they can count if the area is larger. Um, They can do different things with uh, test surface materials. So using any kind of uh, reflective um, material for the floor or putting a ceiling above the light to, to reflect the photons back down, um, I've seen par tests with white mats used as the, the testing surface, um, which is just clearly designed to try to reflect the photons back and get higher readings. Um, so things like that. And, you know, doing this, I could see how manufacturers can manipulate the data. That's um, well,
3: interesting you say that. I should probably make my floors white done is what you're saying.
1: I yeah, no, when it. you're actually growing. But the thing is, the canopy covers that.
3: So... Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not going <laughs> to, yeah, you're right.
6: It's never reach the
1: ground. The That's leaf like the does not absorb
3: <laughs> the from the bottom. When a
1: photon hits the, the, the canopy, or what we're calling the simulated canopy, it has to be dead at that point in a test, um, because it hit the plant. And photosynthetically active radiation doesn't bounce off the plants and then the walls and then hit the plant again and suddenly be used. When the photosynthetically active radiation hits the plant, it's dead it's used by the plant, right? So using those reflective test surface materials is a way to try to like keep bouncing the photons around until they eventually hit the sensor.
0: This is one of those moments where we talk about like energy cannot be uh, created or destroyed. And when that light comes out, uh, it either turns into heat over time after it bounces around all the reflective losses it eventually becomes heat or it's absorbed by the plant. Like that plant, the way that it grows, most people look at the nutrients as the feed but the light is the predominant building block for that plant.
1: Well, I've been taught, yeah, I've been told that I should use a reflective floor and a reflective ceiling. And I can tell you right now that I would end up measuring more photons than the fixture can produce because each photon would have multiple opportunities to get counted because it would just be bouncing around inside a box like that. And the way that we do the map assumes that they can only hit the canopy once.
3: that makes sense to me
0: super important stuff to address spartan we've got about 10 minutes left i know this is normally about when you give your sign off and uh get on heading over to the michigan bros grow show so i'll pass it back to you
3: yeah um just uh thanks for having me i love hanging out I love to be able to just ask questions like that and get the get the answers so that's awesome and uh so thank you for that knowledge and um thank you chat man you're always keeping me entertained the whole show so uh loved love to everybody
2: always love spartan have a good one spartan. Later
1: spartan thanks for coming
0: spartan i always appreciate your uh feedback hi russell <laughs> and and the beard yeah, so and the let smile. me just
1: put a, a cap on that because i talk too much about lights when you guys give me the chance and i'll try to just wrap it up i have a video coming out this week i did four different five different par tests um with one and two sp 3000s um, and I look at all of these really interesting things about changing the shape of the coverage area, about running two of them side by side, about how all of that affects the, the physics and sort of the efficiency of the fixture and the coverage area and the farm maps. And if you're interested in that stuff, I put a lot of effort into this video. It will be dropping probably at the end of this week. So check that out, my YouTube channel.
0: For sure. I think uh, we've got a small-ish panel tonight, so it won't take as long for the uh, shout-outs, but I just wanted to give the panel an opportunity. Um, I'll throw it first to Matthew. Is there any IPM topics or things that you uh, wanted to wrap up or or final thoughts that you had for this week?
2: Yeah, something topical. Um, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, people have been sending me a lot of pictures and videos lately to identify and I'm very happy to do these sorts of things so if you guys are ever interested you can find my stuff uh, on my YouTube channel which I'm chatting in Zenthanol, and also on Instagram at Angel. and the organism that I see a lot very recently the last few weeks is um, uh, plant hoppers so I'll talk a little bit about plant hoppers um, there's a bunch of different kinds of Leaf hopper, treehopper, plant hopper, frog hopper type bugs. They're all hemipterans. they all suck sap out of plants. But um plant hoppers and their nymphs, they're um they like to make wax and they have they secrete wax on their body that's hydrophobic. So certain sprays aren't going to be as effective on them as others might be, although um uh, bio biopesticides might be a little bit more effective, especially like a like an entomopathogenic fungus like Beauveria Bassiana. Um, but just to be on the lookout for these organisms, try to identify them correctly. Um, if they see you if, you, if you disturb them, they might jump very quickly away from you. That's how you know you have one of these hopper type um, organisms and then you can narrow it down by exactly what they look like. And I've just been seeing a bunch of nymphs recently. So for people who might not know what that is, um, feel free to send me a picture um, or look up what a uh, specifically a flatted, So like, um, just look up a citrus flatted, F-L-A-T-I-D, and I'll put it in the chat, uh, plant topper, and uh, see if if that's what you're looking at.
0: I always love getting the update for the IPM because it's always something different season to season, uh, week to week even. It seems like there could be something new and interesting. So I'm always glad that you're here to keep us current with all of that good information. Aaron, uh, is there anything that you had, any final thoughts this week before we do sign off?
5: Um,
4: I am working on a nutrient regimen, um, for my next cycle where I'm doing, uh, I call it nutrient regimen, but it's really, you know, fertilizer. Um, it's going to be any, all inputs are going to be Clackamas Coot, uh, recommended. So all the things that I've been working with him talking about, um, you know, on a regular basis, developing this program where we kind of cover all of our bases and we do it for cheap and we do it locally um so that project is coming along i haven't been very public about it because coot hasn't been very public but he's actually talking about we were we were talking this morning he's talking about getting back on instagram so we might see him again soon because he's interested in educating people again and um so my garden might be a little things are going to be different i'm still doing soil tests but Um, the living soil is going to be focused on the enzymatic production that we can create within the plant and in the soil and the microbes and so this whole school of thought has kind of flipped everything I've ever known about living soil on its head because I've always been like an NPK calcium farmer and now we're like we're looking at these uh, this, this much more complex process this sort of like Uh, upstream process that happens before these, these simple chemicals are created in the soil or in the plant. And um, so there's a lot of interesting things happening with that. And I hope to bring more science to that kind of, uh, to to coot stuff. So yeah, not rant over.
0: It's all good, man. I I look forward to hearing that and we're just eating up the last few minutes of time. And I always like to give people the opportunity uh, if they had something on their mind, if we do have the time to get it out before, we do our sign-off, so I think uh, the final one would be the American one. Anything uh, kicking through your head lately that you'd like to share or something on the show that we talked about that you'd like to put a little pin in and finish up?
6: Not that I could think of. I didn't write anything down this time, but um, yeah, I think we covered everything pretty good. If that's Uh, the case,
0: I'll have you start off by doing your uh, shout-outs or your uh, final goodbyes and uh, let everybody know where they can find you.
6: All right, Uh, thanks for hosting Jack and thanks to Shane, uh, Chief Homegrown uh, for bringing it all, making it all happen. Thanks to the panel, everybody was cool. It was great talking today. Uh, Shout out to chat, you can find me on Instagram uh, the American one with uh, with eighteens underscore between the American one with and then one between 18s and the American one on YouTube. And uh, that's it.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. The American one. I always appreciate your feedback. I just got to laugh at uh, smiley's garden in the chat. He said, coots, newts. I like that. That was funny. And he said, bring back the coot, bring back coot, get him on IG again.
4: It's going to be newts by coots, but you know, it's already, it's already trademark patent. Don't tell anybody.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll uh, pass it back to you, Aaron, for your final goodbyes and shout out. Uh, where can we find you?
4: Matt ATG acres on Instagram. Um, starting to get all over YouTube. Um, And yeah, I think I already, I think I already spouted enough. So I appreciate you guys, man. I just, I like to say that at the end of every episode, each and every one of the panel members always has something to contribute. You know, Jack, Spartan, Matt, Dr. MJ, Tao. I really enjoy listening to everybody. Everybody has such dynamic thought processes. It's a lot of fun.
0: I appreciate that and uh, I feel the same way I learned about Socratic seminars in school and this sort of feels like a little bit like that, like a group of people getting together asking questions and like getting a better understanding of it in a group uh, environment. So gotta love that.
5: Yeah,
0: Eagle calls it a mastermind circle. So next up, uh, we have Dr. MJ.
1: Yeah, we call it a salon. So we get to sit around and share sort of intellectual ideas and experiences and debate these things. I agree. I had fun today. Um, I I hope I didn't bore people too much with uh, PPF and PPFD talk. So I'll try to keep my outro quick. I'd love everybody to come and grow with us in the Plant Training Grow Challenge. It's going to start whenever you want to. We're trying to get everybody coordinated to flip their plants or start flowering on October 1st. We're going to have really cool prizes, like several different grow lights because I'm testing grow lights, Um, but a bunch of other stuff that we're going to be giving away. It's free to join. All we want to do is get everybody growing together. So come on to CocoForCannabis.com forward slash challenge, sign up for the plant training grow challenge, and I will see you guys next week. As always, thanks to Jack for hosting, panelists for being here, and Chatters for keeping things uh, fun.
0: Thanks for coming, Dr. MJ. I always appreciate you. And I hope that people do participate in your community. I think that you're doing a really great thing over there. And uh, finally, we have Matthew.
2: I really appreciate the warm sentiments from everyone on the panel and also the chat. I definitely feel the same way. It's why I come here every weekend. I get to talk about IPM stuff. And I'm very interested in just making sure people know a lot of information. I also learn things, too. And it's a great sort of relationship that way. If you're interested in integrated pest management research, um, techniques, opinions on the matter by somebody like myself who is an IPM specialist, you can find me on Xenthanol, the channel that I was commenting in the chat. You can also find me at SyncAngel, S Y N C H A N G E L. And uh, two big things one, I'll have a uh, equipment video coming out soon. I also have an FAQ, Frankly Asked Questions, about IPM video coming out. So if you have questions, you can check out my YouTube um, and answer the uh, the poll question on my channel. Um, and I'll try to get as many as I want. And I also will have a lot more videos from my live streams with Aaron the Grower. So I uh, look forward to those two if you like both of us speaking.
0: I definitely look forward to it. Uh, being in both places, I think, is great. Just in case anything happens to any of the channels, it's nice to have multiple platforms hosting it. I really appreciate the stuff that you're sharing on Instagram. Sort of like I referenced earlier, some of the research out of like Israel and Canada and wherever you're pulling it from, I love looking at some of those studies that you're posting because uh, they're really interesting. And I think I should definitely encourage people, if you're on Instagram, like most people are in the cannabis community, check out uh, Sync Angel. And you can also find me there. If you are on Instagram, I am at Jack Greenstock. I made a backup page, Jack underscore Greenstock, because I can no longer follow people back. I follow 7,500, which is the cap. You can't follow more than 7,500. So I'd have to start unfollowing people to follow new people. So I got a backup page. There's no pictures or anything over there. But if I see somebody follows me and they're a grower, I'll go over to the backup page and follow them back. So shout out to everybody in the chat and the listeners. Uh, First and foremost, without you, we don't really have a show. Uh, you bring it all together i guess we do we did it one week without you all because we couldn't go live so i think the panel would come together no matter what and just uh have a meeting of the minds but it really is a lot more fun for me and i think a lot of the people um, i have
1: that recording by the way
0: oh nice no. maybe we can uh do an upload i'm
1: teasing it. i'm trying to sell it you know
0: yeah all the, the the lost episode but yeah with that said i've done my plugs you can also find me on Cannabuzz and Twitter and um i've got my own podcast as well greenstock talks which only has a few episodes but thank you everybody for joining shout out to shane of the cheap Home Grow podcast he's the one who uh, hosts this youtube channel that you're listening to the show on now and also the podcasts that get posted he takes care of all that business on the uh, after side so shout out to shane and all he does for all of us and allowing this to stay alive because i really enjoy the community that is created around it and i look forward to doing it every single week i always seem to learn something and just enjoy the company of the uh, chat and all the panel members. So, thank you everybody for coming. Jack Greenstock signing out. Have a great one.
5: Grower love.